Okay, I'm going to switch here a little bit, but uh, um, I just want to ask the question is, for those of you that are a little bit up in age, isn't growing old Right? Who thinks getting old is for the birds? Anyone? Yeah, that's pretty good. Some of you guys have a pretty good attitude then about getting older. Right? There's a, as we get older, there are certain points where our, our bodies, our minds, they begin to slow. Right? They begin to even break down. And some earlier, you know, some of us earlier than others. For me, I think once I hit 50, once I hit 50, right, it seems like a switch turned. I'm serious, like a, just like a switch. And it turned. And I started to have problems, problems that I never had before. Shoulder pain, right, back aches, headaches. Um, vision, vision problems, like, well, I can't read this, you know, I can't, I can't see this. I take my glasses off or I put them on, I'm not sure. Right? Things I'd never had before. And I know those of you that are older, older than me, are thinking, right, you're thinking, just wait. Right? Just wait, it gets worse. And it's natural. It's natural for us feel this way. Nobody escapes aging. Right? Nobody does, but we don't have to like it. Of course, you young people, I look and I see, right, you young people, you, you don't understand, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Right? You haven't had to experience the downside of aging just yet. But believe it or not, there was a time when we looked like you. Right? Pretty scary thought, huh? I mean, when you can play all day, right? You could stay out in the sun, you can eat what you want, right? you could stay up all night, but when you get old like some of us, right? You got to move slower, you got to watch what you eat, you got to take your meds, you got to put on sunscreen when you go out. <laughs> Because our bodies, they just, they don't function. They don't function like they used to. We, t we took a vacation a few weeks ago as a family, right? And we go to the water park or we walk around the, you know, the, the sites and things like that. And man, after a few hours, like I am, right, I'm pooped out. Um, yeah, but that's just, right, the cycle. That's just the cycle and the evolution of life as we get older. After you turn 50, right, you got to do other things, okay, like blood tests, cholesterol checks, and, and maybe the, the best one, the colonoscopy. <laughs> right. I don't know if this is colonoscopy season, but I know a bunch of people that are going through that, you know, having the procedure done this summer. And contrary to what you may have heard, colonoscopies are not fun. Right? Well, I shouldn't ask who's had colonoscopy. <laughs> but first you, right, you, first, you have to get prepared. So you have to fast. Right? Fast. No, no eating. Then you have, to, you have to drink a gallon. Serious, a gallon of this, this, right, this nasty 
awful laxative drink, right, which flushes out your system. So the whole day before, right, you're just on the potty. The whole day before and the night before, right? And then there's the actual procedure. Right? It, all in all, it's a, it's a really unpleasant experience. Right? Nothing, nothing fun about it. But it's necessary. Right? It's something you need to do. Right? And there's a lot of things that are unpleasant that you need to do. I just picked the colonoscopy for fun. Right? Um, there are many unpleasant things in life but in the end, no pun intended, it's something, it's something you need to do. It's something that's good for you. Okay, and we learn this, this in life. Older, There are things we don't want to do. There are things that we don't like to do, right, that we know are good for us. Making a, a hard segue here, but when we think about repentance, Right, repentance is also an unpleasant thought. As a people, we seldom want to admit that we have anything to repent of. Right, it's like most people, if you're like most people, you don't like thinking about your, your sin or your moral failure. It makes you feel bad. We'd rather spend our time focusing on, on good things. And so we avoid it. We don't bring it before the Lord. And what happens is we stay mired in our sin. We stay stuck spiritually. Right? Even though it was just the other day that we said something mean or we gossiped about someone else or we dwelled on lustful thoughts, we refuse to come clean and we, we refuse to seek the change that God wants for us. You know, but like the colonoscopy example, right, confession and repentance in the Christian faith, they're not optional. Okay, it's something we must do. It's for our best. In fact, Scripture shows us that it is this brokenness, brokenness over our sin, that actually unlocks the blessing of God and the blessing of change in our lives. We must do what at times in order to experience the blessing of God. Right? This may sound counterintuitive, but brokenness, beloved, brokenness unlocks God's blessing. Brokenness unlocks God's blessing. Yeah, our text this morning is from Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12. And if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand and let's read God's word together. Right? And the words will be on the screen. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen. Let's pray. We open our, the word this morning. We ask that you speak to us. We ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and make us sensitive to you and to your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would change our hearts, you would change our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, today we wrap up our sermon series in Psalms. What are kind of our been for this series in Psalms? Right, it's on the, the cover of your program. Right? Bear before God. Bear before God. <clears throat> we continue to seek honesty in our relationship with the Lord. We want to grow deeper with God so we learn to share with Him what's on our hearts. We don't want to hide from him. Once again, we're looking at a psalm of David here in Psalm 51. And, and you know, D David wrote nearly half of all the psalms. Half of all the psalms. Right? So it's, it's not surprising that we're reading a psalm of, of his again. And through these psalms, we get a glimpse of David's heart. We get a glimpse of a man after God's own heart and how he expresses himself before the Lord. <clears throat> so as we, read, as we read these first 12 verse, verses, you can probably tell this is a plea. This is David's plea for forgiveness. David is struck by his sin, and he's been exposed by the prophet. And so he comes humbly before God. Right, Just to place the story, in case you're not familiar with it, this is all in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Right, David, David is a general. He's a king. But he doesn't go to war with his troops. Instead, he's, he stays home. Right, he's idle. He, excuse me a second. Shini, should I switch to... The, I feel like... It, is it going in and out for you guys? I, I feel like it's going... Um, let me. Check, check. Okay. 
Let's, I, I, use, I use this. Right, David, um, again, he's, he's stayed home, right? He's a general. His, his men are out to battle, and yet he has, he has decided to just to, to stay home. One day he sees this beautiful woman, right, Bathsheba, right, and he desires her. As a king, he summons, he summons her, and he sleeps with her, and he ends up getting her pregnant. And some of you, I'm sure, know this, this story, right? And then to cover up what he's done, thinking he can hide his sin and avoid accountability, what does David do? He sends Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He sends him to the front lines, right, as a soldier to be killed in battle. Lust, adultery, unwanted pregnancy, murder, a cover-up by the king at the highest levels. Right, this is, this is modern-day stuff. And it shows how sinful man has always been even a man after God's own heart. David wrote this psalm, like I said, after God sent the prophet Nathan to him. And we see his repentance, the repentance of a man broken and humbled by his sin. You know, for our, our text today, I want to pose three questions to you. Three questions I think we need to ask ourselves in order to be people of Repentance. Now, repentance means to turn away, right? It's this way towards sin. It's to turn away from sin and move toward God. It's to move towards God, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and in our actions as well, right? Repentance is not just having feelings of remorse or guilt. Right, just to be very clear, it's a commitment to actual change in your life. Being rehabilitated, if you will. And it's part of the process to becoming more Christ-like. So the first question I'd like to ask as we work through the passage is, how do you view God? How do you view God? Right, obviously, your view of God determines how you approach him. If God's not important to you, right, then you dismiss him. If you think he doesn't care, then you don't approach him at all. But if you think he cares and can help you, then you get on your knees before him. A.W. Tozer says, what we think about God is the most important thing about us how we think about God, how we perceive and understand him. Because it affects how we see things, it affects how we see ourselves, and it drives our relationship with him. And it's just like our relationship, say, with our parents. You know, when I was a teenager and I scratched up my mom's nice new Buick Regal, trying to drive it between two wooden benches, I went to my dad first, right? Because in my mind, there was no way my mom was going to forgive me. Right? It, was, it was her car. But of course, she did, recently. 
In verse 1, David says, Have mercy on me, O God. He sees God as merciful, as approachable. In fact, we read that David comes before God on the basis of his, what does it say in verse 1? His unfailing love and his great compassion. This is who God is. Sadly, many people have, have a distorted view. They have a distorted view of God because they've been, maybe they've been mistreated or hurt by their own fathers or their own parents or others. And those, those are real hurts. They're real wounds. That says more about us, doesn't it? It says more about mankind than it does about God. David sees God as so merciful that he asks him to blot out his transgressions, to wash away his iniquity, and cleanse him from his sin. Right? In each, each phrase, he actually uses a different Hebrew verb. Right? It sounds like he's repeating himself, but he's not. He says, blot out. Right? Blot out is maha. Pronounced maha, which means erase the mark that sin has left on me. Right? Wipe it out like, like you do on a dry erase board. Wash away. Wash away is kabas. Kabas, which means launder the stain of sin that runs so deep in me. Right? It gets into the fabric of us. Like a mom, use your godly detergent on me. Finally, he says, cleanse. Cleanse is taher, which means purify me. God, remove the guilt which separates me from you. Wow. Right? Three different ways of saying something right, that he comes before God with, looking for forgiveness, cleansing from his sin. Isn't this a lot to ask for from a guy who just committed adultery and murder? But this is the mercy of God. What brings David before God in repentance is the same thing that brings us, I hope, before the Lord in worship, in prayer, in thanksgiving. It's that overwhelming sense of God's unfailing love and his compassion. The conviction that he is good, not to those who are perfect, but to those who love him and place their trust in him. So how do you view God? Can you approach him with your sin? Second question. How do you view your sin? In verse 3, David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. This is him coming clean. Right? We don't read him recounting all of his evil deeds, speaking of Bathsheba and Uriah, but he's confessing that he knows how detestable his actions were. God's mercy does not mean we don't have to acknowledge what we did. Just because God is gracious, we know Christ has cleansed us and we're forgiven, doesn't mean we don't confess. 
sin is not to be swept under the rug. Right? Just like a friendship or a marriage. And, and I'm not very good at this. But confession, admitting your wrongs, how you mistreated, how you hurt the other person, is important in the forgiveness process. Turn with me to, to another Psalm of David. And, you know, if you have your Bibles open, turn with me, but um, it'll be on the screen. This is Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. See, there was a time when David would not acknowledge his sin. He kept silent. He ignored it. He denied it. Maybe he justified it. And it says he wasted away. It weighed heavy on him. Right? This is what he means when he says, my sin is always before me. He's not talking about where in relation he is to his sin. He's saying it weighs heavy on me. He felt it. The wrongdoing, the guilt, the separation from God. Do you feel the weight of your sin? Do you even recognize the sin in your life? But in our culture today, sin is a foreign concept. Many people refuse to accept the idea of sin because they think there is no God or there is no moral standard. And we get desensitized to sin. It's difficult for us to identify sin and evil unless, unless we see it in its most extreme forms, right, which we have seen recently. Otherwise, we think we have nothing to acknowledge. We have nothing to confess to God. And yet, and studies show this, and yet, guilt and shame weigh on us. Guilt and shame weigh on our society, weigh on people. Physical health issues, mental health issues, counseling needed, therapy, all of these types of things can arise from the guilt and shame that goes unconfessed. But I probably don't need to tell you, but sin and its consequences are real. And it must be confessed and repented of, or its effects will be felt. Right? After wasting away, right here in Psalm 32, after wasting away, looking, look at what David says in Psalm 32, 5. He says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Beloved, brokenness unlocks God's blessing. Sin is pervasive. We see it all around us. Temptation to do wrong abounds. In our minds, in our hearts, with our bodies, especially if we're not aware of it. 
1 John 2 says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Right? Who of us can't relate to these things as temptations in our lives? Things that we fall to from time to time. The idols of money, materialism, and comfort. Lustfulness for things that aren't ours. Lust of the flesh. Sexual sin. The adoption of the world's values and pleasures. And the pride. says the pride of life. The pride and smugness of a life that thinks too highly of itself. A spirit and attitude that neglects the poor and says, I am sufficient in myself and I humble myself to no one. You know, my daughter, Avery, Avery likes to ask these hypothetical questions sometimes. <laughs> Recently, she asked me, Dad, would you rather have all of your thoughts projected for everyone to see or have everything you do live streamed? Great options, right? Have all your thoughts projected so everyone can see my every thought or have all my actions live streamed real time, I guess. How about you? How absolutely condemning would that be? Now, I refuse to answer her question. Because it would just lead to more questions. <laughs> right? The idea here is to let the Holy Spirit convict us of where there's sin in our lives. Sometimes I think we read scriptures like this, like 1 John 2. And we let ourselves off way too easy. Right? Do, you know what I mean? In our minds, we jump to, well, I'm, I'm not so bad. Or I haven't done that that much. I could be worse. And from the very beginning, we start justifying ourselves. Romans 2.5 is a, is a strong rebuke of that. Romans 2.5 says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. See, there are times when God shows us the depth of our sin, the darkness of our hearts. I believe this is an invitation. It's an invitation to be broken by God and to repent. Psalm 51, verse 4, moving on in our passage, says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Again, how do you view your sin? Do you see it for what it is? It's an abomination to God. This is important because often our tendency, again, is to take sin lightly. I know I do. God says, be holy for I am holy. 
he makes clear that sin is not acceptable among his people. And sometimes yet we overlook it. We do very little about it. David is broken over his sin here, and he recognizes that he's deserving of God's judgment and wrath. So are we. But for Christ's sacrifice on the cross, which atones for our sin, you and I would be condemned, destined to an eternity apart from God. In verse 5, David points out that sin is a birthmark. Right? We're tattooed with it from the very beginning. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. Right? The reason sin is such a struggle for us is that it's in our nature. We're not sinners simply because we sin. We sin because we're born sinners. We can't help ourselves. Only God can. Final question. Do you, long, do you long to be right with God? This is an honest question because it determines whether or not you're truly motivated to seek repentance. We all want forgiveness. But do we really want to change from our sinful ways? As destructive as our anger, as our lusts, our addictions are, we get used to them. I know there are particular sins that plague me. And it's sad to say, but I think I get used to the cycle of sin, of confession, of asking God for forgiveness, and then committing the same sin all over again. Proverbs 26.11 says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. And what, an, what an image to describe our cycle of sin. David, David wants to change. He, realize, he realizes how wretched he is. In verse 7, he asks God to cleanse him again. Then in verse 10, he asks God to create in him a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within him. The resolve needed to repent comes from a desire to break the cycle of sin and to walk rightly with the Lord. Recognition of our sin and how much we need Christ is a key driver in our holiness. Do you long to be right with God? You know, in the midst, in the midst of David's brokenness over his sin, one of his great cries is for God to forgive him and to restore his joy. But you see, sin, sin debilitates the sinner. If you let sin into your life, I promise you, it will weigh you down. It will sap your strength and it will steal your joy. It's like David said in Psalm 32, before he confessed, before he confessed, he was wasting away. Now, this is a diagnostic check of sorts, but if you have lost your zeal and passion for God, you may need to consider whether there is some sin in your life that you need to repent of.
David pleads. He pleads. He cries out for God to restore him. He says in verse 8, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Then in verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Where, where does real joy come from? Contrary to what the world thinks or what society will tell you, it's not from wealth, it's not from riches, it's not from freedom to do what you want. Right? We see many people that have those things that live lives of desperation. Joy comes from being in right relationship with our maker. It comes from being in God's loving and gracious presence. That's why David says, Lord, don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But you can see him on his knees. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. The amazing thing, the amazing thing, folks, is that after all of our sin, God wants to redeem us. God wants to give us that joy. That's the kind of God he is. But he does it. He does it by breaking us of our sin and bringing us to repentance. Psalm 51:17 says, A broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. God will not turn you away when you confess your sin, when you turn to him, when you repent. In fact, God will receive you with open arms. Beloved, make confession and repentance part of your life. Come clean to him. Work to remove the sin that weighs you down and separates you from God. Ask God. Ask him. Plead with him to restore the joy of his salvation. Brokenness unlocks God's blessing. At Calvary, Jesus was physically broken over our sin. He was beaten and crushed for our iniquities. The issue of sin is so important to God that he would not spare his only son. Jesus went willingly to the cross because he knew atonement for our sins was necessary. But if we give ourselves to him, if we repent of our sins, if we turn from our sin and turn towards God, he will grant us salvation. He will grant us eternal life. Not a cheap, passing joy that comes from doing whatever we want, but a joy rich in mercy, rich in love, rich in grace that comes from being made right with God. The process of confession and repentance is not pleasant. There's a real turning that needs to take place. But that brokenness we feel, that David felt, is the first step in re restoring God's joy and blessing. Let's pray.
Father God, we come before you just in all of our, all of ourselves, all of our sin. all of our wretchedness, all of our brokenness. Lord, we just come before you because we trust in your mercy. We know that you are a merciful God. We know that you are a loving God. We know that you are a God, Lord, who receives those who come back like the father of the prodigal son. We know that you will receive us we are so thankful, so thankful to you, Lord. Restore to us, Lord, the joy of your salvation. And renew a right spirit within us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.